Hey everyone, Brad here, and you know we love a great find on the whiskey market. That's why we are excited to talk about Penelope Bourbon, an award-winning four-grain bourbon that is taking the market by storm. Penelope's balanced yet flavorful taste profile comes from a unique blend of three bourbon mash bills. Right now, it's available in three expressions, four-grain, barrel-strength, and toasted. Whichever expression you choose, its incredible flavor goes down smooth, neat, or in your favorite cocktail. Penelope Bourbon is available in select markets as well as online at PenelopeBourbon.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome into the Film and Whiskey Podcast. I'm your host, Bob Book. I'm joining you solo just for the intro portion of our episode today. What you're going to be hearing here in a second is an interview that we did way back in October of 2021. We were invited down to Watershed Distillery in Columbus, Ohio to pick a barrel of whiskey. At that time, we were told that it would be sold in the gift shop at Watershed, and we picked some friends and went down and and had a good old time, and you're going to hear the result of that. Well, five months later, and a whole bunch of of hoops that we jumped through, our whiskey is finally coming to store shelves. We actually collaborated uh, with a local bar and a liquor store up near where we live to get these bottles out and sold, and we had so many signups in advance. Uh, that we actually did not go the gift shop route. We have people stopping at the liquor store, picking up our bottle now, and we fully sold out of this product in like 72 hours, I think. It was really incredible. So we want to say thank you to everyone who has bought a bottle of our first real crafted bourbon. We did set 50 bottles aside that I think are hitting shelves the day this episode comes out. So this would be Thursday. And if you are in the area of Akron, Medina, Ohio, if you want to stop at North Court Beverages, we have 50 bottles set out. First come, first serve. We don't expect them to last very long. We're going to throw over to our interview with Barrel Master Ann Dimmick, who at the time was working at Watershed. She has since moved on to work for the Ohio Liquor Bureau. Our friend Scott Sauer, who formerly was at Crafted Cocktail with us, you may have heard of him before on this podcast. He's also since moved on from Crafted, and he's launched his own digital marketing brand since then. So lots of things have changed in the last five months or so. But one thing is for sure, we picked a darn good barrel of whiskey. I'm excited for you to listen to this episode. Hope you guys enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome into the podcast. We are back with another special bonus episode. Mm, Barrel pick episode. Barrel pick episode. Brad, we have been waiting for like three years for this. I was just thinking about this on the way down here today. Our podcast is almost thinking. I was thinking. Wow. Our podcast is almost three years old. It is. We basically have a toddler of a podcast here. Yeah. February. It'll be three years. And I feel like we have arrived now. Because we are on site yeah. at Watershed Distillery in Columbus, Ohio, and we are doing our very first film and whiskey barrel pick. We have these four whiskeys poured out in front of us, and the master blender, is that is that the proper... Let's term? go with that. Yeah, master that blender at Watershed. Great. CEO. CEO. Owner, <laughs> just owner. keep piling on. Not president. that. Yeah, not that. Not at all. <laughs> Greatest whiskey blender in the world. And Dimmick is here with us today, and she has poured out these four glasses in front of us. This is it, Bob. I mean, why else would you drink whiskey other than to have your own barrel of whiskey someday? We've hit the big time. Yeah. And it will uh, it will all be downhill from here. So welcome <laughs> to the pinnacle of film and whiskey. It's the Mount Everest. Here we are. Oh my. And how are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm I'm so good. 
as you can tell. Yeah. Doing a barrel pick. Yeah. So what we want to do today is we just want to kind of walk our listeners through what is a barrel pick. Like, I feel like, you know, when you get into the whiskey world, there's a lot of lingo to learn. There's a lot of language. And then you move really quickly to being like the pretentious college sophomore that knows everything. Yep. And I think for a lot of consumers, there's a huge gap there in the knowledge. And like, we have seen some of the like the bigger whiskey podcasts. Uh, there's whiskey websites that do barrel picks all the time. They go and they they have a private selection. And I think people have become really familiar with the process. But it's kind of hard to get that baseline of knowledge of just understanding what is a barrel pick? How does it work? Yeah, I mean, the, there's a certain understanding in the whiskey world of like, I don't know, it feels like if you don't know what it is, then you already missed the boat. Mm-hmm. And like, you can't get in on the ground level anymore. And that's why that's why Bob and I are here for you guys. Yeah, we're here to get you in. I also like that we introduce this as like, this is the peak of existence. And by the way, this is what it is. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like we have to explain. I just I love thinking about our podcast as like the manifestation of those for dummies books from yeah. the 90s. Yeah. And I'm happy to be the dummy because yeah. like. I, I don't know how to do a barrel pick. This is my first one. Dude, we should probably do a bonus episode series, Film and Whiskey for Dummies. I don't know if that would go over as well. I don't think people are, are as willing to self-identify as dummies anymore. As they were in the 90s? Yeah. Okay. We were much more humble as a yeah. people <laughs> in the 1990s. I feel like we've gone way off. Yeah, we have. Anne's looking at me like, I don't know how to jump into this. I think right we now. might need to bring that back, though. Yeah. Yeah. I think so, too. A little bit. I think so too. Self-humbling is important. Well, let's start the trend here. I will I will humble myself. Brad will humble himself. And let's just well, kind of the, fir- the first thing to humble ourselves on is that we were speaking with Ann just a few minutes ago. And if you listen to our previous episode, uh, we were interviewing Aaron Harris, uh, head distiller here, and we called their their product two year, like probably fifteen times. Yeah. So they they just moved to a four year age stated product. There's two expressions of that, the bottled and bond. And then the one that's just four-year finished in apple brandy barrels. And I had said that they took a leap up from being a two-year product to a four-year product. And Aaron kind of gave me a little bit of a, mm, but he was very gracious and humble and did not correct me. Uh, and Anne is very gracious and humble and did correct me. Oh, boy. And, and she should have <laughs> because, please fill us in on on the process that the distillery has been going through in the, the lead up years. to this four-year release. Yeah. yeah. Sure. So we actually started, we just celebrated our 11th anniversary and we were making bourbon since day one, but it wasn't released until it was two years old. And that batch number one was basically two years in one day. This is years ago. And you think about how much bourbon has changed since then and how much craft distilling has changed since then. But uh, we didn't have an age statement on it. However, we had an internal goal of constantly getting our bourbon older, better. So each year we were adding more age to it. We were upping our production so that we could put more away. And then you want to put it away and for a certain amount of time. But the last uh, the last year or so leading into the change and adding an age statement to our label, these were four-year-old barrels. And so there was not this, there wasn't as dramatic of a change, basically. And so our new bottled and bond, 100% distilled, aged and bottled here, these are the same barrels that were distilled by the same team. We're just selecting for certain flavor profiles and we're bottling it at 100 proof. It's not a 90 proof. And then, you know, we have this new blend, but we've been getting progressively older. So it wasn't an overnight thing. But for on the outside, it could have appeared like, oh, they went from 
you know, two sure. years old to, yeah. Well, I'm glad to be corrected. Yeah. It's we know, right. we know what happens when Bob assumes. So, so if you, if so you here find, we are. Absolutely do. if you find like original label watershed bourbon and you find, uh, oh gosh, I think there's batch 98 and 99 are really good. Mm-hmm. Batch 101 was an interesting story. Um, batch 102. Those are some really good ones. Yeah. Well, thank you for the correction. I do want to kind of jump in on your story. Like we we sat down with Aaron, and I think it's inevitable talking with anybody at this distillery that your name is going to come up at some point. You are like, in many ways, you're the the face of the distillery, the, and the legend. Oh boy, <laughs> the legend, the legend of water yourself. <laughs> and tell us a little bit about your background in the industry. What brought you to Watershed, and how long have you been here now? So background actually it goes way back. Engineer. And so graduated, worked in the auto industry, got married, was a stay-at-home mom. And then I actually answered a Craigslist ad. This is probably like 12 years ago or so to do, you know how people like stand in the grocery stores and do wine tastings? Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is the perfect little weekend job. I like wine. I like talking to people. It'll be fun. And so somehow through that, somebody figured out I knew how to use Excel and PowerPoint. And it was just a series of fun opportunities over and over again. And one after another where I'm like, this is a real job. And uh, so actually was with uh, Campari, which owns Wild Turkey and Russell's Reserve. Mm-hmm. And so at one point, I was managing their Midwest control states. So doing bourbon, but also all the other products and everything. Traveled a ton. Uh, and then a couple of years ago, I made the decision to limit some of that travel and uh, get a job at the local place that was five minutes away from my house. <laughs> so that that is the story and how that came to be. I like how the turning point, as it is with most people, oh, is yeah. then my boss found out I could use Excel. Because yep. I feel like once that happens, it's game over for everybody. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, 100%. Seriously. You're like, oh, you have a technical skill that I have no desire to learn? <laughs> All right, you're in. Promoted. Promoted. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. And if you see, so we're sitting here with this age-stated portfolio. So what we're making today is really for four, five, mm-hmm. six hopefully even longer than that down the road. So, I mean, there's a forecasting that goes out, a multi-generational spreadsheet that goes out 12 years. I mean, it really, and when you get into the finished products and we're finishing barrels in barrels of other things that we also make here, like our apple brandy and our nochino that we barrel age in our bourbon barrels. And so think about it. You got to know, like, if I'm going to have this much of this finished product, I need to empty this many and I need to, you right, know, so it's, right. it is, it's kind of like a tangled fun mess. That is exciting. To That's me. like a yeah. really big Excel spreadsheet. And if there's one thing that you and I actually agree on, it's that we love a good spreadsheet. Oh, dude, I, I make a mean spreadsheet. Oh, I was going to say, I don't know if I could make something as intricate as that. With all the regression formulas and I'd everything. I'd be up to the challenge. Yeah, well, we'd probably fail, but i try. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you also have to think about the proof that you're bottling at because, and your yield, mm-hmm. and you're going to lose angel share, you know, right. every year. So you got to factor in those calculations. So there's a lot to it. Absolutely. There's software, but we're a small craft distillery. So right. we're still using Excel. <laughs> there it is. There it is. You know who's really good at figuring out those sorts of things, though? Like uh, yield and how much adding just a little bit of water will affect ABV and everything. I thought you said ye old for a second there. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, where are we going with this, Bob? In any case, uh, our friend Scott Sauer 
from Crafted Cocktail Dude. is phenomenal at that stuff. And Scott is actually here on site with us today. Scott, I know you're off camera and off mic, but just shout hello to the people. Hey, everybody. Scott's the man. Uh, Scott's the reason that we got to try Pappy on one of our more recent episodes. Yeah. So we asked him to join us here today to help pick a barrel of whiskey. And I think that's where we need to go now. Let's talk about what a single barrel selection a, or a private selection is. What makes it look unique at Watershed, I think, is probably the way we should go here. Yeah. But let's start with like basic terminology. And can you kind of introduce our listeners to the idea of a barrel pick? Sure. So barrel picks are something that are in the, the scheme of whiskey, bourbon are huge right now, but they're relatively new mm -hmm. when you think about, you know, all the years. And I, we still laugh about, remember a few years ago, we're like, you really had to sell these things. And now everybody's on allocation. But if you ever get a chance to actually taste bourbon straight out of the barrel and the different distilleries have different things that they do, and it really goes back to bourbon and aging and everybody's got their recipe and it's so much more than a mash bill. It's, uh, you know, where did you age it? Was it a warehouse or a rickhouse? Or was it one that was on this hill? Or was it near the door? Or was it way inside? Or, you know, these different things. Did you vary? You've got four roses with varying different yeasts and, and aging all on one floor. But it's the opportunity to taste through several barrels and actually see when a product ends up, a lot of our products, you know, the mainstay products, they're a blend of lots of different barrels. Mm -hmm. So you can control and you can make it, you know, you can kind of select and, and make things more repeatable, I guess. And so it's what people expect. The magic of a barrel pick is you can find barrels that are so unique and it's really getting to see the personality that each barrel has. Mm -hmm. And it, there's just nothing like it. It's like meeting new people. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, the magic of a single barrel picking, it almost feels like a behind the scenes glimpse into what goes into the process of making whiskey. The production, like, yeah. Yeah, you, you feel like you are a part of the process of saying like, all right, let's try this barrel. Let's try this barrel. How would it taste if we blended it? How, we, how would we do these things? And it's just a really cool opportunity for any group of people, any individual who has enough money. Uh, to come out and say, you know what, like, I like this specific flavor mm -hmm. and I want 200 plus bottles of it. So I will say to Anne's point, though, too, it has really taken off and exploded. And I noticed it, especially when I first went to Woodford Reserve. When we first moved to Kentucky, it was 2014. I took the tour at Woodford. And at that point, they like they said so little about their barrel pick process that they they almost phrased it in a way that made you think like you just went and bought a barrel and then like carried the barrel home with you and it would like sit in your basement. You're that like, was seriously what I thought it was. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. wait, so how, do you just like ship it to my house? Like, yeah, yeah. you just go to someone's I house and like, know. let me show you something. I, yeah. <laughs> I just feel like there would just be some old Kentucky man rolling it down the right. road to right. your house. I bought well, a barrel. So at that time, they had like a little wall in the like near the pot stills and it was a plaque and they had the names of everybody who had ever come in and bought a single barrel and so they were pointing out to us like oh because there's... it was that rare yeah back then and they're yeah. like oh look russell crowe came and did one and that's when you're like oh okay you have to have lots of money to do yeah. this it's a very rare thing to do yeah and just from then to now i mean places are booked up throughout the year they're like making selections of who can come in and do a barrel pick who can't yep usually and, and correct me if i'm wrong here but usually what we see is like bourbon clubs 
or like, you know, affinity groups that have enough membership that they can all kind of pitch in to buy the barrel up front and also have enough distribution that they can move the product that typically kind of come in and pick these things. Like it's it's not a lot of individuals, is it? Not typically. Uh-huh. It, it'll be kind of the groups. Um, also, outside of Ohio, it's a lot of retailers. Uh, sometimes you'll have a restaurant group that comes in that has lots of locations. So it's not, you know. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot more diversity. There's just, there's so much more out there. And people love it because you can find things that don't necessarily taste like the product off the shelf. So we're, you're looking for variation. I generally, if you come here for a barrel pick, we're going through and uh, we'll have four different, you know, barrels rolled out. And we like to have as much variation as we can, both in terms of proof, where they were aged, when they were filled. And I generally like to put in a couple of sister barrels. Mm. And so these would be barrels that were actually filled on the same date. So they were from the same distillate batch. So you can see how two barrels that basically started life together and were raised in the same family can have different personalities. Interesting. We need to drink whiskey, I think. I think we do. Okay. (laughs) So here's what we're going to do. We are actually going to hit pause on our podcast. We're going to sip through these four samples. When we come back from break, we're going to kind of give a rundown of what we thought of each of these samples and what we ended up selecting. So stay tuned for that. We'll be back in a little bit. All right. So we are back. We have narrowed our four samples down to two. Brad, let's just give like really brief notes on all four of these. And Number I'm two su- and four are terrible. <laughs> We're just picking one and three. And I'm super impressed at how much variation we had here. Yeah. And so like number one and number four ended up being what you call sister barrels, which like, distilled on the same day, basically stored in the same place. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did have very similar characteristics. But what we loved about number one overall was the mouthfeel, yeah. really oily, a very heavy whiskey. Yeah. And it's like right down the middle, incredible caramel vanilla notes. It's a great bourbon. Number two actually came from the original mash bill here, which was the five grain. Uh, It was the oldest one. It was really grain forward. And like it didn't smell young. It didn't taste young. But it had this very kind of raw grain essence to it that we all kind of liked. But at the end of the day, it was one that was like definitely among the four. I think it was the outlier. Does that make sense? Just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, totally. All right, so number four, we also ruled out just because we were comparing it to one, and one was the one that, that kind of jumped it's, out to it us. It stood out, 100%. Number three is really interesting. Number three, I think, might be the highest proof one. Yes. Okay, that, that's clocking in at 134 proof. Woo. So we're feeling real toasty it's right just, now. It's just a type of hot I was just talking about. <laughs> the nose was all floral. It was really rose petally. Um, there was some apple, apple peel, peel that we got yeah. in there as well. We liked it a lot. I got melon on that one as well. The taste was very earthy, and it kept that floral thing going through. And so right now, we are, we've are we narrowed it down to two possibilities. Yeah. Barrel number one, which is, I guess if we could nickname it, the crowd pleaser. Yeah. Barrel number three, which is, I don't know, what would you nickname barrel three? The andemic oddity. <laughs> the andemic <laughs> oddity. She actually named this barrel juicy fruit. It reminded her of that gum. And I, I can see it. Yeah, like, 100%. I think it's a little more floral yeah. than that for me. But like, I think a rye drinker would really like three. Yes. It doesn't have the sweetness of a bourbon, like what a bourbon would normally carry with it. So I am incredibly torn. We are going to do some group think here. 
We're going to try one and three. I say we give them like just a little sip out of the Glencairns again. And then we're actually going to put them on the rocks because a lot of our listeners are going to try these on rocks. Uh, I know Scott is probably going to end up serving whatever we have in in some cocktail here or there. So we want to see how these stand up to a little bit of dilution as well. So, guys, as we sip through number one, number three, let's give some final notes, tasting them neat, and then we'll put them on the rocks here. So the rocks challenge is something we have never done as part of a barrel oh, pick. Nice. Yeah. This is new there because we got talking over We're lunch. We're pretty much the most advanced whiskey exactly. drinkers you've ever had on, on uh, your premises. So Number one is just so nice. It's just so damn good. Yeah. Like, there, like there's just no way around it. Number one has everything you're looking for in a bourbon, which is what blows my mind, Bob, because you constantly are like, yeah, this is a phenomenal riot. Yeah. It blows my mind. But it's not a bourbon. Well, so here's the thing I'll say about number one. Number one is like an eight and a half out of ten across the board for me. It's like a very pleasant nose, a very great baseline taste, a nice finish. It has some great spice. It's 127 proof, but it doesn't burn a lot going down. It just checks all the boxes. But I also will say that there was nothing about this whiskey that that really caught me off guard, that made me kind of made my ears perk up a little bit. Um, it was just an, an all-around pleasant experience, but I don't know if I would call it an exceptional drinking experience. Does that make sense? See, that that's where I disagree with you a little bit. Okay. I, I do think that number one stands out in the categories of sweetness, of mouthfeel, of just beautiful vanilla and caramel. It's really one of the best classic bourbons I think I've ever had. I, like, I would put it at the 40-plus category. All right. If you're going by a film whiskey, right? We have two microphones here. I'm going to swing my mic around. Uh, are, Scott, are we about to put somebody we're, else on the podcast? We're about to introduce Scott and Wes, who have come to join us on this barrel pick today. Oh, Guys, I want you to give just very basic thoughts on one and three, drinking them neat before we move to the diluted. So one, I do agree that it was everything that that classic bourbon should be. Um the one thing that I did think was exceptional about it was the mouthfeel. It had the perfect richness and oiliness and it just coated and it really lingered with you, even though it was light flavors. You know, typically you get the more lingering flavors with the lighter ones, uh, or I'm sorry, with the heavier, with the heavier whiskeys, not necessarily the lighter ones. So the fact that this has both was very appealing. Uh, at the end of the day, though, it was still your everyday bourbon, you know, just that vanilla caramel. Now, it was a very, very good take on it. Um, but it to, to me personally, it wasn't exceptional. It was it, uh, it was it was a great whiskey. It wasn't necessarily a unique whiskey. It had some excep- exceptional qualities. Uh, I'd definitely give it a four out of five. It checked a lot of boxes for me, but it didn't completely blow me away. Uh, going going to one and three for me. Number one was just flat across the board. It was it was probably a seven and a half to an eight overall experience. With the palate probably breaking closer to a nine at times with that mouth feel. Second and third sips, it kind of went down a little bit as you got used to that thicker mouth feel. So I'm probably going to give it like an eight eight and a half on the mouth feel and an eight on the uh, the nose and the the finish. Whereas number three, that nose is just incredible. I'm probably like a nine 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 and a half out of ten on the nose. But then it really, really falls off on the palate for me to closer like a seven. I, I, there's this note that's promised on the nose that that apple peel and caramel together is promised on the nose, and it doesn't come through in the palate. And that's what I want. I love those two flavors in a whiskey, and when it's promised and then it doesn't show, 
it's it's heartbreaking for me to to think about it, right? So my soul is crushed. Yeah, but you know, for me, it's probably closer to like a seven, seven out of ten on that that palette. Then the finish is probably closer to a seven and a half. So for me, I think number one is my front runner going into the trying it on the rocks. So do we just name the three the gaslight bourbon then? The gaslight <laughs> bourbon, you know. All right, so Anne's gonna swing her microphone back around towards her. You're the barrel master here. That I like am. literally, that's your title. Which, by the way, is the coolest job title I've ever heard. Barrel right? master. Yeah. Yeah. Like it just sounds like a medieval. It's, no. it's like you're like you're doling out mead to people. <laughs> well, well, but if you see my email signature, it says barrel master, ba- ugh, barrel master, aka bourbon nerd. That's there it is, bourbon nerd. That's right. Yes. All right, so I want you to help us break this down because yep. you're going to sell a, a barrel of bourbon no matter what here. Mm-hmm. Let's let's think of it from two angles. Number one, which is your preferred flavor profile as andemic? Number two. What do you think is going to appeal to people? Mm. It has evolved, basically. And it's funny because I'll go into different ones and I'm like, oh, I like this one the best. And then we'll kind of talk through and you can be influenced. Uh, So number three is like all personality. Mm -hmm. We just, I just poured mine on the rocks. So I skipped ahead a little bit. And when I do the rocks pour, definitely I still get all of those like fruit notes and everything coming out of number three. Number one is like, I don't have to think to enjoy it. Yeah. So it's kind of like, do I want to think or do I want to, I can just be along Mm -hmm. for the ride. Mm -hmm. This one is like an easy afternoon, number one. And number three is like, one of those really great roller coaster rides at Cedar yeah. Point. But I don't always want the roller coaster ride at Cedar Point, but sometimes I do. Right. Yeah. So I will so say, for me, diluting both of them. Yeah. And this may just be because Brad and I are used to drinking whiskeys neat. Mm-hmm. I think that, that it takes something away from both of them to dilute mm-hmm. them. Totally. However, every unique characteristic about number three is still there. Mm-hmm. Whereas number one... And this is not a knock against the brand that I'm about to name, but this tastes like Maker's Mark to me. I, I 100% agree. Yeah, yeah. Like, it just, yeah. like, it's a fine baseline whiskey. Yeah. It is really good neat. Yeah. Um, but it loses all of its uniqueness when you add any amount of water to it, for me at least. Okay. Number three, I think, yeah. you may or may not like it. It stands up. It definitely, it keeps whatever is unique about it when you add some ice to it. Yeah. I man, I I can't get away from number one, which which is funny because I literally feel like you and I have reversed places in this mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, where normally you're go- you're just kind of a basic kind of dude. You're you're a little bit boring, Bob. Well, thanks. Yeah, you're thanks, welcome, man. No problem. Cheers to you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, normally I feel like you're in a place of just like I just want the sweetest, nicest experience possible. And I feel like a lot of times I've leaned more towards unique experiences. Right now, I'm just sitting here. And once again, I, I think it comes back to what Scott said. The mouthfeel on number one is freaking fantastic. Yeah. And so I think that that's what's really drawing me towards number one. The uniqueness, though, of number three is drawing me in. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm really sold on either barrel. Okay. I think just saying like rank one and three is a little too simple. Because I have a feeling I know like you and Wes are both number one. Me and Scott are both number three. Yeah. Right? So Anne has to break the tie. 
She could break the tie or we could try to score it out in terms of like mm. nose taste finish for both of them. Everybody have a coin. We could put the I coin of destiny. I literally <laughs> thought about bringing the coin of destiny and I did it. I don't know. What do you guys think? Do we let do we let Anne break the tie? Well, who fi- no, we don't. Because, <laughs> and and here's why because I can make an impassioned argument for both yeah, of these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just As you should be on, able to. Right. As yeah. it, it, they're like children, and it's like this one's gift is here, and this mm-hmm. one's gift is here. Yeah. Um, I like, I'm picking one. You're picking one. Yeah. Wes, you're picking one. Picking one. Yeah. Scott, you're picking three. three. I'm picking three. Yeah. We really do need a tiebreaker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can tell you. Yeah. That. And did nickname barrel number three i did it's juicy fruit because i i remember the first time i tried it Mm -hmm. and i'm like magic where are you at on this let's go with unique yeah i would would agree unique is better than juicy fruit even though i like one better yeah the uniqueness of three as a single barrel offering right especially as like this is what watershed's portfolio typically tastes like this is our barrel yeah. I think the <laughs> difference there. Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think, right. Hey, Watershed, great. You'll like this. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Number three. All, All right, right Film and Whiskey. We are going with barrel number three, 134.1 proof. Woo! And we are feeling every bit of that proof right now. Oh, Lord. And Dimmick, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. Thanks Holy for walking for us through this. Thanks for having me. This was so fun. I have no freaking idea what this episode's going to turn out like. Oh, boy. But at it's... the end of the day, <laughs> you're going to spend three times the normal amount of time editing, editing this. I'm so yeah. sorry. So I want to say thank you to Anne. Thank you to Watershed for this opportunity. Thank you to Scott Sauer. If you live in the Northeast Ohio area, we are going to be working on getting some bottles up to that area so that you don't have to drive down to Columbus. Guess what? If you don't live in the Northeast Ohio area, you need to get your ass down to craft a cocktail anyways. You're right. Because it is one of the coolest cocktail bars in the country. Yeah. One of the best cocktail bars for sure in the Midwest. Yeah. So you can find Scott's Bar Crafted Cocktail on Facebook. I think on all the major social medias, correct? Yeah, yeah. You can get on their email list. I'm sure Scott will let us all know when this bottle becomes available. We are also going to release this information as the bottle becomes available on our social medias, which are found at Film Whiskey on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. So if you're interested in finding a Film and Whiskey bottle, we're happy to help you there. Once again, thank you to Anne. Thank you to Scott. Thank you to our friend Wes for helping us set up video and audio today. Film and Whiskey, we will see you next week with a regularly scheduled episode. But until then, I'm Bob Book. I'm Brad G. And we'll see you next time.